This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Julio digs in. This is smoked over the leap of Massey into right field. Julio grounds this through the right side. Caballero scores. Julio has four hits today. He's got a chance for his first ever five-hit game. He swings away. Julio with an absolute nuke out to left field. Scorching land drive into center. There you go the other way. Base hit. I'm telling you, he is a treat to watch right now. Julio. That's another four-hit night for Julio Rodriguez with 17 hits in a four-game stretch. Beats the record of Milt Scott of the Brooklyn Robins set back in 1925. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com. Joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com national content editor. Today is Tuesday, August 22nd. We have a lot to talk about as usual. We have to take the Mariners seriously, not only in the playoff race, but the American League West division race. I find this unacceptable, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to get into how do we explain Cody Bellinger's continued success. We are going to finally officially write off the Yankees. It's time. We're going to bring up a really interesting and bizarre and maybe depressing stat about the Angels with and without Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And then Matt and I, of course, each have a guy you should know more about. Here's my exciting teaser for that. Both guys are from the American League Central. I know that will make you want to continue and listen for the entirety of this podcast. Matt, we wrote off the Mariners, I don't know how many weeks ago, and my question for you is not were we wrong to write off the Mariners. Uh, it's what were the Mariners wrong to write off the Mariners? Because they didn't seem like they were going for it at the trade deadline. They actually traded away Paul Sewell, and yet here they are. As things stand today, they are in third place in the West, but they're only two games out. Texas has the lead in the West. Houston is one and a half out. Seattle is only two games out. Like by the end of the weekend, they could possibly be in first place. And I don't think that's going to happen. On the other hand, if Julio Rodriguez keeps hitting like 800, as he seems like he's been doing, then I suppose anything has happened. Do we have to actually take this seriously now? We do. Although I think, you know, I'm not sure who said this, but it's one of my, I mean, it applies to all sports, I think, but it especially applies to baseball. You're never as good as you look when you're playing well, and you're never as bad as you look when you're playing bad. And the, the, maybe the Mariners exemplify this better than any team because they're not this good, but they have been on quite a heater um, since July 1st. They're 32 and 13. They've won 20 of their last 25. I mean, there are reasons behind this that go beyond just Julio Rodriguez being playing out of his mind, although that's a that's a big part of it. So... It's another lesson just like how long the baseball season is and like over the course, you know, you still you always have plenty of time to kind of like turn things around. I've kind of been the low man on the Mariners last couple of years. So I'm, you know, I'll eat some crow here that they've kind of not just gotten back into the wild card race, but gotten back into the American League West race because I definitely did not see that coming. Can I tell you an amazing stat line? I mean, they've been red hot for, you know, more than a month, right? But I'm just looking at the last 30 days here. Here is Cal Raleigh's stat line. For the last 30 days, a 235 batting average, not very good. 299 on base, not very good. A 38% strikeout rate, not very good. 
Also, he's 45% better than the league average hitter because he's hit 10 homers and he's slugging 602, which I guess is the sort of thing you have to have happen when you're going off. Uh, when, when Julio Rodriguez went on his wild run of, what was it, 17 hits in four games, you figured, okay, he's going to hit the ball harder, and he has. You figured he'd get some amount of batted ball luck. Do you know what his batting average on balls in play was over that 17 hits in four-game stretch? Whatever number you think it is, like triple it. Do you have any idea? I'm going to guess 900. Almost. 882. <laughs> Which is, I don't want to say it was all good luck. Obviously, he's playing very well. There's always a little bit of good luck that comes in here. They've made some moves, right? Like They gave a lot of playing time to Colton Wong at second base. Didn't work out. He was essentially the weakest hitter in baseball. You know, they cut him loose. Everybody's getting hot at the right time. Like, Eugenio Suarez has been pretty good lately. The the rotation that we thought would be the strength, like, it's been good. But I don't think it's been leading the way over the last couple of weeks in the way that I thought it had. And um, it, it's so, you know, they traded Paul Sewell and the bullpen's still been pretty good. Like, I want to know what he thinks about all this. Because now he's in Arizona, and I guess they've turned it around too. But do you think he's looking up there and going, man... I could have been a part of that. I, it's it's got to be rough. I mean, let's start. Let's talk about Julio Rodriguez. He um, didn't get off to a great start, and he told Daniel Kramer, who was our Mariners beat writer, that he tweaked his swing. And I try not to put too much into this because I feel like every single time a guy is struggling, there's oh, and now it's a toe tap, now it's a leg kick, now it's this, and like we only pay attention to it when it works and not like the 40 times it doesn't work. But he basically said he's got a wider stance uh, and a stronger base. And if you look at what he's done, I mean, he's he's pulling the ball more than ever. But here's what's interesting to me. Uh, he is being so aggressive that over the last, I think, like two months, only Sal Perez is swinging more than he is. And Sal Perez is not necessarily like he's he's been a good hitter, but he's not the ideal of like a controlled overall good hitter. And I don't I don't know how long you can get away with this if you're Julio Rodriguez. Right. Like that's so aggressive. I mean, it's kind of trite to say, oh, you know, baseball is a game of adjustments. But I think that's that's kind of how I view these things when players try these little these little mechanisms, whether it's a toe tap or widening their stance or tightening their stance, opening, closing. It's just like I'm making a change now to get myself going and I'll do this as long as it works. And then maybe pitchers will say, oh, when he hits like this, he hits, you know, the the fastball on the outer, outer, outer half better than he did in the past. Now I'm going to start, you know, trying to throw him, you know two seamers in or breaking balls down. And then like, he'll probably, you know, if he goes in a slump, maybe he'll have to change, change his stance again. So like, I think it's one of those things where both these things can be true, right? Where like he's adjusted to his slump. It's working now and he'll ride it as long as he can ride it. He's had a weird couple of years, right? Because like last year as a rookie, it was like, Oh my goodness, the next great superstar is here. And he was good. But like his batted ball numbers were such that it wasn't like otherworldly. He probably kind of like, overperformed last year and this year it's kind of like the reverse and maybe it's just a kind of guy finding his level after all this time do we get to say that participating in the home run derby fixed him because that's what i would like to say i i I think that would be great i'm gonna say that i think going forward the other guy the other guy i wanted to mention um dylan moore like if you're gonna play this well you're gonna have to have guys playing over their head so he didn't really play much in the first half only 15 games a 0.037 batting average in the second half he has started 16 games and he has a ops over 1200 like all of the vibes are in the exact right spot even jp crawford who i talked about last week is now back from his concussion here's the question for you I don't care right now who's going to win the West, but will we have three American League West teams in the postseason? Will half of the field in the American League come from the West? 
Um, that's an interesting question. I guess it couldn't. I mean, the, the Mariners have very much made this a couple. Uh, if you had to ask me today, I, I, I hate answering these questions because I'm about to like defy my own advice, which is basically like, oh, they're not as good as they look right now. But then again, do I think they're better than Toronto and Boston? That's a lot of silence there. Yes. Yeah. I think, I mean, my gut wants to say the Blue Jays are going to take that third spot, but the it's like, you don't want to go too much on the vibe check. I keep waiting for the Blue Jays to take flight and it hasn't really happened. Granted, there's still what, five weeks left in the season. It still could happen. What do you, I mean, what do you think? I think there's a non-zero chance that Tampa Bay misses the playoffs, right? They've had a ton of pitching injuries, and now we know Shane McClanahan's not coming back. And, you know, Wander Franco is on administrative leave, and we don't know what his future is going to be, but you certainly can't count on him. And my guess is he doesn't play again this year. And if you just look at, like, the red-hot start they got off to has sort of been declining, you know, recently, and they just keep getting hit after hit, right? Pitchers keep getting hurt. I like, you know, Nick Pavetta. Is uh, not Nick Pavetta. Um, who am I trying to say? Is it Nick? No, uh, Zach Eflin. I always get those guys confused. So do Zach, I. Zach, so I like, you're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> I like Zach Eflin. I, is he like their number one starter now? I'm, I'm going to say there's a decent shot Tampa Bay misses the playoffs. And so you'll have either one of the two Texas teams, Houston or Texas, wins. The other one makes the playoffs as a wild card. Seattle makes the playoffs as a wild card. And Toronto makes the playoffs as a wild card. Tampa Bay's out. Boston is out because the defense is such a wreck. And that's it. Like, forget it. I'm not considering the Angels in this. They are out. I'm not considering the Yankees in this. They are out. And I think that'll be it. That's that is my take, which I hope we will, you know, erase in three weeks when it looks terrible. Right. right. Will you agree with me on that or do you have a different opinion? Can't see the the Rays missing the playoffs at this point, but I'll never say never. It's not like out of it's not out of the realm of possibilities. And I I didn't have the wherewithal of looking this up in advance. Maybe you did of how many head to head games the Blue Jays and the Rays have the rest of the way because I think that could that would probably be the like the the mechanism that would be most likely to see the Rays fall back enough is like losing a bunch of head to head games to the Blue Jays. So fun! I'm glad you brought that up. They actually have two more series remaining, and they are two of the three remaining series. Right. So Toronto goes to Tampa for three, uh, Friday, September 22, 23, and 24. And then they play the Yankees. And then the season ending series is Toronto versus Tampa Bay in Toronto. And since we brought up that weekend, do you know what the end of the Seattle schedule looks like? Their final three series of the year are at Texas versus Houston versus Texas. That's going to be super fun if all three of those teams are still in the divisional mix. I'm very excited about that. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. Each week, we like to look ahead to our three batter minimum and pick three interesting topics. The first one is, how do we explain the continued success 
of Cody Ballinger. He's having a great season, right? Hitting 324, 933 OPS, is 45% above the league average, playing very good defense, right? Is as much of a back uh, of a of a rebound season, like a comeback season, as you could expect after a number of really poor years, which you know made the Dodgers just sort of let him go. However, he has a ninth percentile hard hit rate. This is the thing I can't get past. This is a guy who has hit forty plus homers before. He's been an MVP. He's slugging five sixty one, and he's just not hitting the ball hard. He has the largest gaps in every expected stat compared to his actual outcome. Right, expected batting average, all of it, all of it, all of it. And I don't want to. I don't want to say. Oh, I think he's lucky. I don't want to say. I think he's overrated. Like he's having a really good season, and we're almost entirely through the season. But this is going to come up a lot in the off season when he is a free agent, and teams have to figure out. Well, are we buying into this? Are we giving him a hundred million dollar contract? He's also kind of kind of an up and down year. He's very good in April, uh, not so great in May and June. However, he was hurt around a knee injury, and if you look at his five months of the season, none of his monthly OPSs start with a six or a seven or an eight. He's <laughs> either been outstanding or below average again while he was injured. What do you make of this? What should we make of this? I'm vexed because it, it does. It feels like, <laughs> I mean, the other part, I mean, it feels like he does something spectacular like every game these days, right? Like it's just, so, I mean, in some ways the, the Dodgers made it easier on the Cubs by not making a qualifying offer to Bellinger last year. I'm not saying that was a mistake based on the information they had and all the other free agents, like I could see why the Dodgers were like, you know, we, we, we want to be out of the Cody Bellinger business. He'd been bad for a couple of years, like, like really bad. And he probably would have accepted the qualifying offer, and they were like, we don't want to do this. So the Cubs ended up signing him for kind of something close to the qualifying offer, right? Like one year, like $18 million. And now it'll be very easy for them to justify making the qualifying offer. I mean, we should also talk about the Cubs and how they're probably going to make the playoffs now, especially with the, the Giants. We'll get to that in a second. So it'll be easy for the Cubs to justify it. I'm Yeah, it's going to be one of the more interesting stories of the offseason because someone will talk themselves into Cody Bellinger on a big multi-year deal. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think someone will because they'll be like, he's still pretty young, he's athletic, he's got this track record, he's coming off a good year. Yeah, we know we saw the Savant stats, yada, 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 but like, there's not that many you know, good out, outfielders on the, on the market this year. So I think someone will talk themselves into it. I'm just curious who that, that will end up being. It's also possible that the Cubs, given the qualifying offer, the market's kind of eh for him, and they're like, you know what? He thrived here. Like, let's bring it back. He sort of vaguely fits this in the middle timeline we have with like Dan to be Swanson and Ian Happ anyway. So like, let's roll with it. I went and I looked up every season since the start of the Statcast era in 2015, and excluding 2020, which is you know a short and regular season. There were only four qualified seasons where a player had a hard hit rate of 33 percent or under, and a weighted runs created plus of 145 or better. Only four seasons, but actually only from three players because Jose Altuve did it twice, right? And he did it in 2017, 2022. I think that one's obvious. He did it because A, he's very fast and he can beat out infield hits and B, because he plays in Houston and you don't have to hit the ball that hard to like drop home runs down the left field line. The other one was Joey Votto back in 2017 and Cody Bellinger. And that's it. So it's, I don't want to say unprecedented to do this. It's just really really hard and the one thing he's done that's super impressive is he has cut down his strikeout rate by a lot so he has the largest drop in strikeout rate in all baseball 27 percent last year 15 percent this year and like you look at that he's like okay he's making more contact and here's what i think might be happening i can't actually back this up but what if he's just 
converting those strikeouts into weekly hit ground balls that are outs. You know what I mean? And that would hurt his hard hit rate because now there's many more balls in play. And all he's done is just turned one kind of out into another kind of out. I'm not sure if that's actually backed up. I think when you said vexed, that's totally the right word because I have no idea what to make of this. And I'm glad I'm not the one who has to decide this winner because like, you could totally see this being the next Javi Baez. Or you could say, well, yeah, he's a very good center fielder. He doesn't have to hit that much to be successful. I have no idea what to do with this. The Cubs, fortunately, can enjoy the rest of this surprisingly good season and then figure out what they got to do. There's a lot that can happen between now and f- when free agency begins in November. I mean, the Cubs, I mean, they're, they're not a lock by any means, but now they're in the second wild card spot, which is not something I saw happening. The Giants have sort of just faded. The D-backs have gotten back in the mix. They're, they've sort of come, come back. I was ready to write them off. They're now back in the mix. So the Cubs are now, I think, what, they're two games up in the lost column on Arizona, who is the first team on the on the first team out right now uh and it feels like they'll probably make the postseason and they certainly i don't want to say lucked out with bellinger but like they took a calculated risk and it seems to be working out well for them yeah i mean they're only two and a half games out behind the brewers still well, that too i don't know if this is still true but it was true as of a couple of days ago since i think it was june 1st the giants had the weakest offense in all baseball <laughs> like they have not hit at all even a little bit. Um, but they did call uh, Kyle Harrison, who's going to start tonight, who I'm pretty interested to see. All right. Our second topic is so long, Yankees. All done, Yankees. I mean, they have been written off for weeks, I think. But now it's essentially official. Their, their playoff odds from fan graphs are like a decimal, you know, a fraction. Um, eight losses in a row. Longest since 1995. They're 17 games out in the East. And this is the thing that I think is most stunning to me. You remember, they were good for a while. They were 10 games over on July 4th, and it's just fallen apart. And as you can imagine, all of the New York media and all of the Yankee fans are losing their mind trying to figure out who to blame and who to fire and all of this. And there's a lot of also talk. There's a minor leaguer who appeared on a podcast who said, well, they're focusing too much on analytics. And, you know, that's why they're not playing real baseball. And yet the other day, um, they dropped down bunts and popped into bunt outs and said, well, that was our game plan was to bunt. (laughs) It's like, what are we doing here? They're not losing because of any particular in-game strategy. It's not because they're bunting too much or not bunting enough. They're losing because they're old and slow and injured. Like that, that is it right they are the slowest team in baseball tied with the white Sox. compare uh by stack sprint speed they have given over a thousand plate appearances to isaiah counterfleffa jake bowers oswaldo cabrera billy mckinney and willie calhoun not exactly all-star level players and they're so injured so according to baseball prospectus they have lost 11 projected wins above replacement due to injury nobody else is even more than eight and they have lost 11 right rodan has been hurt Nestor Cortez has been hurt. Judge has been hurt. And then I don't know what you do about this. Did you know Josh Donaldson has a batting average on balls in play of 0.076? That is almost literally impossible. What that means is he's crushing home runs and popping out. That is essentially all he's doing. Like that, that is almost impossible. Should we have predicted that happening? I don't know. It's a mess. I don't know what I don't know that their future here is clear. No, it's not that because I mean you mentioned you know on the offensive side being old and slow. I mean the the starting pitching. I mean you mentioned Rodon, who's been either hurt or ineffective. He's made like six starts and is a seven three three ERA with like uh, I think it's uh, eighteen walks in twenty seven innings. Like he's been bad even when he's pitched, which suggests that maybe he never really has been like 
100% at any point. This is me speculating, but like it's hard not to wonder what's what's going on there. But the starting pitching, I mean, you, Luis Severino is unpitchable. Um, in starting pitcher war this year, according to Fangraphs, they rank 27th in baseball. 27th. And they have Garrett Cole. They basically are starting with the best pitcher in the American League, and they still rank 27th in starting pitching war in baseball. Like, as much as like the old and slow, like the starting pitching has been bad. And they've, over the years, they've done an amazing job in recent years of finding bullpen guys out of nowhere and also like getting great performances out of your favorite Mike Talkman or Matt Carpenter. And like that well has run dry this year. They called up a couple prospects tonight to hopefully like maybe spur things along, but it's a, it's a weird time. I also think that like they are, Lindsay Adler had a, a, a big piece about this in the Wall Street Journal today where kind of just like, I think there's this, and don't get me wrong, no one's going to, feel bad for the Yankees, but like winning those world, those four world series in five years, like the Yankee fan base. So worships that team of the late nineties, early two thousands. And has this like image of them of being this, this team where the total is better than the sum of the parts. And just like Lindsay gets at this in the piece where it's kind of like the, the team, the fans want, isn't necessarily like it's, you can't build that team. Like that was like a certain mix of great players at the right place, right time. It worked. And the fans like, I think it's like they talk about how like oh they want more contact hitting. It's like well that's not really like a thing that that you do and go get these days. Like they're you, you need power and like they sort of get that. But then the, the fans kind of revolted it like oh Stanton and Gary Sanchez those guys were disappointments. Like we don't want those guys. We want this different kind of team. And it feels like they're chasing this idea of what like the Yankees should be. And it's led to like this team now that's kind of a mishmash. It doesn't really feel like it has a direction. Yeah, and it, it's it's a good point about the pitching too. So. I don't know that anyone could have predicted Luis Severino basically forgetting how to pitch. Uh, Domingo Herman obviously has had numerous off-field problems. Clark Schmidt's been okay. Here's the hot take I have. Uh, Garrett Cole is overrated this year. He's going to win the Cy Young probably. But in a lot of ways, he's having his weakest season, right? His strikeout rate is down. Strikeout to walk ratio is down. The only thing that's changed is the ERA. And it's going to be funny if this is the year he finally wins it, when to me this is like his, I don't know, sixth most dominant season. But that doesn't really, you know, portend, portret, portet. What was I trying to say? That doesn't really predict. I don't know. Good things for the future. Because um, there's like, there's not a lot of options out there for them to fix things quickly. They'll probably try for Otani. I don't think they will get Otani, you know, just like the Mets will. They've already tried to fire their hitting coach. That hasn't changed anything. They've actually been worse in the second half. You can fire Aaron Boone if you want. Like, I, I think it's fine to have a change in voice, but I don't think any manager in baseball would have made this better, right? Like the team was not built super well. A lot of guys underperformed. Everybody got hurt. I, I know there's a lot of hurt feelings, but at a certain point, I think you just got to look at the roster and say, oh yeah, we gave a thousand plate appearances to quad A sort of types. Like, how do you how do you talk around that in that division? I, I don't know that you do. No, and I think, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting off season, but as you said, it's it's this is probably now, you know, it's, not hard to see them like rebounding next year and contending for the wild card again, but it's tough division and there's infrastructure issues cannot be solved, as you said, in one off season. And, um, you know, maybe if they, if they knew now what they knew and if they knew in January 30th, what they know now, they probably would have sold the deadline. I'm not sure they had that much to sell is the thing. Like they were kind of stuck with this roster anyway, which is why I think they kind of just stood pat. And, um, it's as bad as it's been. I mean, they haven't had a losing record since 1992 which is kind of wild and kind of amazing. Um, so I guess it was about time, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to speak to 28 other fan bases right now. 
it's good for baseball that the Cardinals and Yankees are both bad every once in a while. Like so it's, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, all right, our third topic. Speaking of highly disappointing teams, the Angels. They are nine games out in the wild card. It's over. Like it's over. I remember they announced that they weren't going to trade Otani, and then they had what was maybe the high point of their year was that doubleheader sweep in Detroit when he was great. Seven and fifteen since then. They are probably going to get Mike Trout back this week, so that's cool. And there was a super duper cool, cool moment earlier this week. So they called up uh, rookie first baseman Nolan Shanuel, who was drafted this year, right? Like 21 minor league games got called up to the big leagues. And in his very first game, was part of the first 6-4-3-2 triple play since 1971. That's an amazingly cool thing in his first game. Here is the, like, the interesting and weird and meaningless, I guess, stat I wanted to talk about. So... I went and looked up since Otani arrived in the majors in 2018. What has been the team's record when Otani has played, uh, when Trout has played, when they both have played, or when neither of them have played? I shouldn't say played. I should say started. I'm not talking about pinch hitting appearances or whatever. When only Otani is in the lineup, they have a 451 winning percentage. When only Trout is in the lineup, they have a 426 winning percentage. Those are both bad. When both of them are together, 482 winning percentage also bad and here's the funniest part when neither one of them is in the lineup they have a 548 winning percentage and it's only 23 and 19 and it's like scattered games here and there and it's only happened twice over the last two years i don't want to oversell this as those like they aren't winning players that is so funny to me that they have their best winning percentage when neither guy is playing how do you even do that how is that possible the Angels defy like every the the the, the, the Trout Otani Angels, for lack of a better word, term have like defied every like preconception I have about baseball. I mean, even the, the game when they had the triple play, it was like the most classic thing. They turned the triple play in the ninth inning to send the game to extra innings, and then they lost by no. three runs. In extra, I think then they lost nine six in extra innings. It was just like. I don't even know what you do. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't want to overstate the meaning of that stat, right? Like I said, it's a couple of games this year, not this year, but like over each year, it's a couple of games here and a couple of games there. And it, there's not actually meaning to it. I think what it does is it just sort of points out the absurdity of having these two guys. And, you know, when they decided not to sell and when they decided to buy, I think they were applauded in a lot of circles, right? You have Otani, you'll never get him back. Go for it cool but man has that face planted that has not worked and what they've done now is they've sliced off the top of what was already a weak farm system so almost certainly they'll lose otani although i'll say i have somewhat higher hopes that he might stay than i did before i don't think he'll stay right i think he's clearly going to go somewhere else but i think it's non-zero um from what i can tell you know he, he is not someone who likes to talk about himself that much so it's hard to tell what he's thinking but he has he they have one advantage right? It's not going to be money because he can get more somewhere else. The advantage is comfort. You know, he already knows everybody. He's already got a place to live. He probably will be asked to do more media and that kind of stuff. If he goes somewhere else as like the face of a new franchise, which wouldn't happen as much in Anaheim. I don't think it's likely he'll stay, but I've upped my chances from there's no, no universe where he stays to there is like one out of 1 million universes where he stays. I think that's a step in the right direction for the angels. Uh, we'll take a break. Matt and I will each come back and talk about guys you should know more about.
We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week, Matt and I like to focus on a pair of guys you should know a little bit more about. I'm pretty happy with both of our guys this week. Mine is Kerry Carpenter from the Detroit Tigers. Now, before anyone who's listening says, last week, Mike said he was going to go with a reliever. I was going to go with Colin Holderman, but he came out of a game the other day with an arm issue, and I didn't know if he was going to be hurt. So, Kerry Carpenter it is. Uh, he's actually had a couple of really good years for the Tigers. 135 OPS plus this year and a 132 in parts of two season doesn't seem like luck all the expected stats are in line he's actually playing really well and he missed most of may with a shoulder injury but he's become the everyday starting right fielder for the tigers he only turns 26 next week he actually talked last week to Fangraphs uh david lorla and so he was drafted uh by detroit in 2019 in the 19th round here's the quote he gave to david which i thought was great quote the short story I didn't play very well at Virginia Tech. I got drafted in the 19th round. That's about where I should have been drafted. <laughs> Unquote. So I appreciate the honesty. What happened was he got to double A in 2021. And uh, as he told David, he was introduced to Richard Schenk, who you may know on the baseball Twitter internet as Teacher Man, who was Aaron Judge's personal hitting coach, who not, you know, certainly not turning him into Aaron Judge, but taught him a lot of things. And here's another quote from Carpenter I don't think, actually, I know that I wouldn't be where I am today. If I hadn't learned the things he teaches, which I think is cool, right? Trying to improve yourself by sometimes non-traditional methods. So he's having a couple of good years. And you look at the Tigers, who've been a total disaster for a number of reasons. And you're starting to see maybe, maybe some small signs of hope, right? Because think about this. He could be their right fielder of the future. And if he is, you look at next year, uh, he's going to be 26 next year. At first base, you could have a 24-year-old Spencer Torkelson who has just been on fire over the last couple of weeks. He's been so good. Uh, at In the outfield, Riley Green uh, is just 23. He's had a really good season, and he actually is moving off of center field to play in the outfield corner because they just called up Parker Meadows, who is supposed to be a very good defensive center fielder and a pretty good hitter. Yes, he's Austin's brother. None of those guys are older than 26. I know the infield's a mess because Javi Baez hasn't worked out. I know the pitching's a problem. Maybe, maybe there's hope in Detroit, and Kerry Carpenter could be part of it. It's funny because the Tigers had this team that looked like, oh, they were going to have this wave of starting pitchers that might carry them to relevance. But now it's starting to look like it might be this wave of position players. Carpenter has been fantastic. He homered again last night, as did Torkelson. Torkelson, by the way, I think I almost think that's actually getting kind of like really flying under the radar considering he was the number one overall pick a couple of years ago. You know, we talked about Julio Rodriguez, who everyone's freaking out about with good reason. He's hot, the manager hot. In terms of expected weight on base, Torkelson is basically identical to Julio Rodriguez this season. And um, that has to be encouraging because he looked like he could have been like, in some ways, the like safest possible profile you can get in the draft of like, oh, this guy will be like a good major league player is like hitter from a big time college program who dominated in college. Like usually like number one pick, the low level is like, you know, not low level, but like you think of like your Pat Burles who went number one overall. It's like, okay, that's like, what might you might be looking at? And Pat Burrell had a very good major career, and Torkelson is now kind of on like a pretty similar path. And if I were the Tigers, I would take that right now. And then Carpenter is kind of a pop up guy. It's interesting in that division. Um, that is uh, could be a recipe for success. And I will mention another team in that division for my guy this week. Um, we don't talk a lot about uh, pitchers on the Kansas City Royals, but I'm going to talk about one this Why? week. I'll give you. <laughs> I'll give you a quote from Alex Cora, who said this about this pitcher just uh, just two weeks ago. We've seen a lot of good pitching the whole season, and the ability to throw 98-99 with a good changeup cutter, stuff-wise, stuff 
He was one of the best that we've seen. It's not often you hear that said about a pitcher on the Kansas City Royals, but that is what Alex Cora said about Cole Reagans after he struck out 11 Red Sox on August 7th. Cole Reagans, who made some news this year because he was, the, I guess, the key piece that the Royals got when they traded um, Aroldis Chapman to the Rangers early in July. Reagans was a... First round pick number 30 overall uh, out of a Tallahassee, Florida high school in 2016. 2016 is kind of like that curse draft we've talked about. Mickey Moniak went number one, although he's been pretty good this year. Nick Senzel. Um, you have to get to Will Smith at number 32 before you find an all-star. Um, but Cole Reagans, the way he's pitching, might might help reverse that trend. He also is kind of like an amazing backstory. First round pick 2016, Tommy John surgery in March of 2018. In May of 2019, he suffers a setback. He needs a second Tommy John surgery. And because of the pandemic in 2020, he basically, he did not pitch. He pitched in a game for Spokane on August 30th, 2017. and did not pitch again in a competitive game until May 5th, 2021. So almost four years without pitching in a game. It's remarkable where he is now. He basically he pitched, in, he comes back in May 2021 he makes the Futures game in 2021 with the Rangers. He wins their organizational pitcher of the year, the Nolan Ryan pitcher of the year in 2022. And then he makes his MLB debut. Pitched mostly out of the bullpen for the Rangers this year. Was not very good. 592 ERA in 17 appearances. And at the time of the trade, uh, J.J. Piccolo, who's gotten a lot of criticism as the Royals GM, many, many of it, much of it has deserved in terms of some of the moves they made said you know we did our homework on this guy we think the stuff's back we believe in him and man has he been proven right so far in five starts for the royals 2.51 era his k rate his take is jumped up from 22 percent with the rangers to 30 percent with the royals he moved from the, the bullpen to the rotation his walk rate is down and what's interesting the royals have added have brought back a slider that he used to throw and Reagans has started throwing a slider, which he wasn't throwing in Texas, and has become his predominant strikeout pitch while with the Royals. I mean, he's basically like the only starting pitcher on their roster with a strikeout rate above 25%. He's almost at 30%. So the Royals have been this like big pitch-to-contact team over the years, and Reagans is like, hey, here's a modern pitcher. Perhaps the biggest change is last year he was throwing 92. This year he's throwing 96, which is like the velocity that – that he was was showing when he made him a uh, a first round pick to begin with, first round draft pick to begin with so good for the royals it's a good story for them considering it's been a rough year but they've had Bobby Witt cook in on offense Reagan's it's only five starts but there's pedigree there the growth and the velocity is very encouraging something another potential building block building block player for Kansas City when the rangers drafted him in the first round do you know how they obtained that pick is it like a compensatory pick when? Yes, it was. Someone signed. I'm trying to think who signed. You're you're not going to guess. I will <laughs> sit here as long as you need to try to guess, uh, but you're not going to guess because this was a pitcher who pitched for Texas for exactly one year. Well, I guess he came back later on, but the answer is Giovanni Gallardo. <laughs> there you go. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.